Welcome to the Prosperity Perspective by DML, a conversation about how successful business owners invest their hard-earned money to preserve their wealth and what they might have done differently in hindsight. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Today, we are joined by Daryl Evans and excited for him to share a little bit about his background and his perspective with us uh, today. So, Daryl, you mind introducing yourself to the audience? Not at all, Liam. Thanks for having me. Uh, hi, I'm Daryl Evans uh, here from Las Vegas, Nevada. And as Liam, Liam and I were talking offline, I started my career in my 20s in the real estate industry, grew up through the finance world of the mortgage space, and somehow landed up as an owner of a digital marketing agency around 2011. And for the last 12 years, we've been uh, uh, helping small and mid-sized companies uh, escalate and grow revenue and, and uh, you know, generate leads online through all the typical platforms that probably your audience is familiar with. So you mentioned uh, from an entrepreneur, you started up in 2011. I know you, uh, from our conversation, kind of fell into being a business owner on the mortgage side. Did you always want to go entrepreneurial? Uh, like, where did where did that come from for you? Yeah. So actually, my first entrepreneurial venture was at the age of 20 when I was in college. I started a, a sort of a retail store. Today, we'd call it e-commerce. But back then, it was me out of the trunk of my car at a swap meet. Uh, just to help fund college education, but I'm a fast. I was fascinated by sports. I played uh, football and baseball growing up, but that wasn't going to be my my career, so I stopped at the at the college level. So that was the first thing. But I think to answer your question, um, I was fascinated by entrepreneurship by actually going to the grocery store with my mom. Uh, so in the 15, 16 year old range, I would go to the store with her, and I would always go over to the magazine racks. And my mind, even though I was an athlete, even though I played you know sports and all this stuff. I was interested in electronics. I actually started to go to school as an electrical engineer. I was interested in electronics, but I'd always find myself reading or looking at Inc. Magazine, Fortune Magazine, Forbes Magazine, The Rob Report. And that, you know, that's a dangerous thing to look at, The Rob Report, right? Like, how do people get those things? <laughs> and so I'm working and I'm realizing my pay is not actually on pace. <laughs> and so, um, but I think it was just this curiosity with uh, opportunity that led me to start the first thing. And then the second thing, I got my real estate license. And uh, it, one thing about entrepreneurship that I think about is interesting is if you're not paid for the work that you provide, even if your name's not on the building, I think of you as an entrepreneur, which means if you have to go prospect and you have to build relationships and you have to do your own marketing, you have to handle the, 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 the sales uh, engagement. I think you think of that person as an entrepreneur. And I know some people don't have their name on the door or the sign, um, but for a lot of real estate agents, mortgage professionals, insurance agents, they may not have the name on the thing. So um, that was my perspective. And I just became fascinated by the process and, um, and just realized that uh, while I could do well in corporate, which I did uh, for my first career, I should say, um, it was the idea of, of freedom and, and, kind of unlimited opportunity that was uh, fascinating to me. And how'd you go from into marketing? What, uh, what pulled you in yeah. that direction? Great question. So while I was in real estate in uh, probably 23, four, five, six, something in that, in that age range, while I was uh, still finishing college, cause I took a few years off when I started real estate, then I came back to school, changed my degree, changed my major and started in finance. So I switched engineering to, to go to finance. But um, I, I, I was tired of cold calling. Uh, they teach you in real estate to cold call. They tell you know whether it's door knocking, which is just a face-to-face -face version of cold calling, 
or, you know, uh, calling people at night to back then, it sounds kind of archaic. I'm only 52, but back then there was this thing called for sale by owners, right? Where the homeowner would actually try to sell their house themselves. Uh, not heard of today. I don't think I've seen a for sale by owner. I don't know when, probably 20 years, but so I just got tired of it. I got tired of the interruption methodology. I got tired of the, the responses to the people, you know, you're, we were actually calling them there was another one called expired listing. So the house had already been on the market six months, maybe a year, didn't sell. That doesn't happen today in 2022. But, you know, back then, this is these are the conditions, right? And I'd listen to their frustration and I'm like, they are actually not really happy right now. And I am very selfishly trying to get in the door. And I just didn't have, I had empathy for where their frustration was. I met a guy named Mark who at the time was the number two real estate agent in the state of Nevada. And I noticed that he did something completely differently and it was called direct response marketing. And I got close enough to him. I couldn't hire him because I couldn't afford him, but he would let us rookie agents do open houses for his inventory, which would give us an opportunity to get buyer uh, leads. His job was to build listings. He had a listing base of about 70 listings at all times. I started doing open houses and I realized he just was doing things different. He was giving out free reports. He was doing call my 1-800 number for free information about this, that, or the other thing. Today we would call those opt-in pages, but back then it was offline. And so I, I became a student of his strategy and got more coaching, more training. And I started writing direct mail letters. And that was kind of how I got started with marketing, which was how do I find a, a better way to introduce myself to potential prospects? And if and only if the words I said in, in, in that piece of mail made sense, would they actually want to engage? So I just reversed the process and found a, it was more comfortable for me. It's fascinating. As you were moving through and you reached that point of profitability success, um, didn't have to worry about the roof over the table, the food on the head, uh, roof over the head, food on the table. Right. Um, what was your framework in terms of where to put the profitability, right? It sounds like you found a niche that you really liked. Uh, you've gone through a couple of industries. You've kind of gone through that evolution. How do you determine, okay, does it pour back into the business? Is it go on vacations? Is it, you know, invest in more <laughs> education? Like, what were those yeah. things that were important for you? Liam, the very first and probably still to this day has always been uh, pouring money back into my own personal growth and development. Um, may sound a bit cliche, but I feel like you can only grow to the level of your own understanding. And I was very humble at the beginning. I didn't start from like, I didn't come from sleeping on the floor, let me be clear. But I, but I never really was in the right circle to have the type of mentors and successful uh, people that I could call that, that could give me insight. I was kind of one of the only people in my age group of the friends that I knew who were saying no to the traditional path. And so when I got to the point, and it really wasn't even to the point where profitability was there, it was just I began investing in myself, going to seminars, buying tapes, you know, <clears throat> getting a, I hired a coach, um, paying attention to everybody who was doing a bit better than me and, and saying I, there's something I can learn. But in terms of capital, learning investments in real estate were obviously the first things that I ran to because that's where I was, right? I was in real estate. So buying property, um, either to rent or to flip. Of course, we went through a season where flipping property was was pretty cool. I knew nothing about rehabbing, but I realized, you know, as you can in entrepreneurship, you realize 
just because you don't know it, there's somebody who knows it. So you got to find a good partner who can, who knows that stuff. So we did a lot of that. And as you and I talked a bit offline, I was very fascinated by the stock market. And so, um, there was, there was money, uh, dispersed in that realm. Uh, I want to say this too, just to make sure that entrepreneurs understand it. We, we all grind and, and we do the hustle grind thing. We all know it's a journey, but I think the one thing that I see still to this day being missed is, um, entrepreneurs not taking, uh, just the basic step of putting in a good um, life insurance plan to make sure that if something goes wrong and they don't make it to the end destination, that their family gets what they what they had hoped they they would get if they if they left this place a little early. And I got coached on that myself, and it was just an interesting perspective. And they're like, you can't delay. You know, you may make it. You may get to the to the dream and to the to the big the big pile of money. And you're going to work your tail off to get there. Don't don't misunderstand that. But what if you don't make it? And uh, it was a guy named Jeff who taught me that. And, and he says, just put something in place just in case. We hope you don't need it. Hope you don't need it now. But just in case, make sure that the family that you're sacrificing right now, the time that you're not spending with them, make sure that they get they get the reward even if you don't make it. And for me and from my culture, it's something that gets missed. And so for me, that's always a big – it's not a big investment. It's a commitment early to, it's basically a risk management tool. And I, I consider that a, a bit of an investment as well. So from, to carry on that thought, is there, were there other hedges that were encouraged for you to put into the business or was it just the life insurance play where you're not? No, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I was coached on all the things, you know, the buy sell agreements, the, you know, I've looked at every insurance product probably ever talk to me about, you know, the buy term invested difference versus the cash value life insurance. I've actually bought everything. Like I've bought it all at some point. Uh, and they've come in handy, uh, to be, to be dead honest, 2008, the, the cash value life insurance policy came in handy the way it was structured. Uh, there was a very good use of that during a very tough cash uh, flow issue in our business. And, and as, uh, you and I chatted a bit. Um, you know, we we ended up shutting that company down, but that cash flow came in extremely handy. Uh, the way the policy was structured came in a very, very, very uh, timely situation. So, um, but uh, in terms of of that, that's that's those are some of the things. Uh, those you know, properties as well as uh, you know, taking care of some of those other financial assets. I'm a big believer investing back in businesses because I think business is what I do best, and so. I, 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 I probably overhedge in the business of building team, um, investing in growth and looking for, uh, that next level, because unfortunately I've learned a couple through a couple of hardships that if you, you can think you're successful until something like 2008 happens or 2020 happens, and you just don't know how unstable your company actually is. And can it really sustain the next downturn downfall? Uh, you know, who's, who knows what's going to happen right now with inflationary rates, the way they are and things like that. We've made it through a lot, so we'll make it, but you know, how strong is your company really? It's interesting that you considered the investment back into the people and the process as a hedge, uh, uh yeah. strategy. I'll tell you. you why. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. You know, I, I got, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, I was a solopreneur in most of my early startup opportunities and a lot of the entrepreneurial uh, community celebrates being in business, owning the business. As an agency owner over the last years, what I've noticed is through the hundreds and hundreds of consultations we've had, in many of these cases, even with very successful business owners, the business owns them. 
what I mean by that is they aren't taking vacations. They're in meetings with me and my team, and they can't finish a 45-minute meeting without constant interruptions from their business. I learned in 2003 that a business is designed to have systems to be run by people, right? And this doesn't mean you have to be a Fortune 1000 with 5,000 employees or somebody like that. But I, I just had some coaching that said, invest back in structure, in people. And I did it wrong for a good chunk of time. And I just realized that that was a better, you know, if we're every entrepreneur listening to this has a different reason why they're in business. But for me, one of the reasons was lifestyle. I had two young children who, uh, when their mother and I split, she moved to a different state in the country. And I ended up having to figure out how to be a father from 1,075 miles away, you know, and that became one of the driving forces for me building team and building systems so that when necessary, I could travel back and forth to get them. At that time, they can't get on an airplane by themselves and fly. I have to go do that. And part of that uh, drive to be successful as an entrepreneur was more about time freedom as not so much in the early days about the money freedom, although the money was going to be uh, part of that equation. And I think sometimes people go into business chasing the money and I was chasing the lifestyle that I needed to support my kids and be a, a father present as much as that could be possible from 1,075 miles away. So my perspective maybe came from that as a different slant on, on investment. That makes sense. Um, going back to one of the first things that you talked about when we were talking about the investment was investing in yourself. What do you think the most impactful investment in yourself has been? Uh, was it a coach? Was it a book? Like if you were to narrow it down to like, hey, the one thing for me that was biggest and best was X, what would that be? Um, so there's been so many investments in me that I, I can't even count them now. But I'll, I'll tell you if I had to answer that with the most impactful, it has to go back to 2005, the year we uh, I partnered into the mortgage company and we were starting. And I had been a very successful solo practitioner uh, I had me and two people on my team. We were crushing it with originations in the mortgage space. And then all of a sudden I own a company with 106 people in it. And I'm like, what the heck am I doing here? <laughs> so I so I joined a company, a coaching program, and I got uh, coached by a guy named Kevin, who we're, we're, we're still in communication to this day. And the most impactful thing he had me do was in the first 30 or 60 days. And I'll never forget, he made me shut down the office or he made me take time away from the office. And I did something over two days and it, it really shaped my life. It, shaped, it has shaped everything I've done since that time period. And I was getting coached before that, but it was his coaching and the program that I was in uh, by far. I still have the work from that period of time. I still reflect on it. I make all the decisions that I've made since then based on that work. And, uh, it was just very, uh, <laughs> it was work I'll never forget. And, uh, it, it was, it, it was some soul searching and that was absolutely 100% the most impactful investment I've ever made. So it sounds like it was a two day offsite with the coach to deep dive into intensive. No, actually it was a two day offsite with me. He just gave me the work. He wasn't in the room. He said, you should go rent a hotel, go up to the mountains, go to the beach, whatever you need to do to get away from the world, whatever that looks like for you. And so I booked a room at a hotel out by a lake and spent two days with me. And the reason why you have to get isolated is because um, you just don't want to be influenced. It was, it was, 
work that really required you to do some deep thinking. And I don't know if I've ever done any work like that since. It's It was that big a deal. But no, uh, he gave me the assignments and I had to come back and report, by the way. And by the way, this wasn't cheap either. It, it was it was a ticket. It was, it was a good ticket investment, higher than I'd ever made in myself on any one coaching program or, or wasn't the highest ever, but it, it was it was up there at that time. And um, I had no idea what I was getting into, but I needed help. The reality was I needed help. And they were they were a highly recommended company in leadership development and, and things of that nature. And when you get help, you just got to do what they tell you to do. Like too many times we think we know it all or we think we can figure it out. I was willing to say, I don't know what I'm going to do. And the funny thing was this work had nothing to do with running that doggone mortgage company. <laughs> it had nothing to do with it. Usually doesn't, right? It's amazing. The, the money is not necessarily a factor, right? The money is a factor to make it painful and important enough to you that you put value in the time into whatever the exercise is. But the exercise yes. at the end of the day is you and yourself. And it always yes. is, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. You versus you. You versus you. And it's great to have the accountability. And that's what money helps with in these programs. But um, so to challenge you a bit, how I mean, you haven't done anything similar since? So, I mean, I have, I've, I've, I've been in coaching. I've got an advisor who's been with us since 2014 at the agency. Uh, I'm coached by someone in the, in the speaking and thought leadership space. So I've gotten plenty of coaching. I, what I, what I mean is I haven't, I don't know if I've done anything as impactful. I don't think I've had a coach take me through anything as impactful. My current advisor has helped us avoid a lot of catastrophes. Uh, we pay him, you know, we've been in a relationship with him since 2014. I'm in a mastermind. But in terms of impact, nothing comes close. And, and do, you, do you think that spending another couple days, do you think, I guess where I'm going with this is things evolve over time, right? Sure. And do you think spending another couple days and whether it's revisiting the same questions or the same work or a different set of work that's more um, relevant to where you are today would generate maybe not the same, but, you know, additional impact? So I review that work every two years. And the answer is there's no way that my answers wouldn't change. Let me tell you what one of the biggest questions was that I wrestled with. I had to write down, okay, this one exercise had to do with 10 people who would speak at your funeral. And while there's a couple of names on that list who would not be on that list today because either they're just not a part of my immediate family, what I would want them to say wouldn't change. And that's what hasn't changed. That's why I say I've never, I don't know how they came up with these questions. You've, you, you're nodding because you've probably been through some similar work like this, but nobody ever, I, I just, you don't come back the same after two days of, of writing the words of what somebody else would say. And it really, you have to say to yourself, who do I want to be and who do I want to be for them and to them? How do I want to show up in their life? And it's character building work it has nothing to do with, it didn't have anything to do with entrepreneurship, but in a way it did because I had to show up for my clients and all of it, all of it was very interesting, but I review that work. I have that work will never, it's, as long as Dropbox is still around, and I think I redundancy put it on Google drive too. I'm never going to let that work get, disappear from my life because it was that big a deal. Um, I, I ain't gonna lie to you. When I look at it, I, I, I cannot look at it without tearing up. It's that weird that that there are things happening right now, Liam, that I wrote down during that extra, during those two days that are just now happening. Just now, 
just now. And I actually went back, uh, what is it, a year or so ago. There was a time, and I'll just tell you one of them really quick. At that time, this is way before, way before this sort, sort of nomad, digital nomad, work from anywhere lifestyle. But I wrote something back then that said, I have an amazing team who live all around the world and whatever, whatever. Where did I come up with that in 2005? We had an office, a brick and mortar location. And as far as I know, the mortgage business is still kind of weird where you can't be, right? You don't get, right? So where was I in 2005 to think that I was going to have this international team? And what do you know? 2020 comes along, COVID comes along. And all of a sudden now, my I was the I'm, my company's based in Las Vegas. Up until just recently, I was the only employee in the United States for the last couple of years. Like our team got dispersed, and this company was based in Las Vegas. I'm still the only employee in Las Vegas. That's a complete stark opposite to the fact that we've had two brick and mortar offices in in Nevada in Las Vegas for the last decade, and all of a sudden. Two years or 12 years we've been open and in the last two years we don't have an office and our team is dispersed so i mean it's just interesting things that have happened and you just don't know why would i say that in 2005 and now i got some really cool people that work with us all around the world <laughs> yeah i mean it it boils down to the purpose and clarity right in terms of why you're here and what you want to accomplish and when you can get clear on that everything else falls into place seemingly right or at yeah. least you know yeah. what you're striving towards right not to say that there aren't going to be challenges yeah, most definitely. Uh, way, but uh, uh, that's awesome. Interesting stuff. Um, if you were to go back to your younger self, what's one piece of advice or one thing you would change uh, along the way? I, uh, I I talked so bad about myself and and really questioned my abilities for a long time. Again, making an excuse here probably, but I, I made excuses for not having been in the right circles, maybe not getting the right... Um, breaks at certain times. I, I didn't believe in myself all the way many times. And I don't know where it came from. I don't know where it comes from. I've done a ton of work on myself as as I've mentioned. Uh, but if I gave myself some advice, say to my 20, young 20 something year old self, it'd have been like, just believe in yourself a little bit more. You got this. <laughs> yep. It's, uh, as we said, it's you against yourself 99% of the time. And uh, if you can make you can reframe those things. You'll be much more fulfilled, successful, like everything along the way. Um, yeah. it's great advice. Um, if the listeners want to connect back with you, Daryl, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, I appreciate that, Liam. And thanks for the conversation. Uh, you know, I have a podcast that uh, is a kind of a central location for people to connect. Uh, it's called the mind shift podcast and, uh, wherever you're listening to, uh, Liam's show, um, you can find my show and it's called the mind shift podcast with Daryl Evans. Uh, what we do there is a combination of interview shows with uh, successful entrepreneurs talking about their journey from when, uh, you know, to go from inspiration to realization and when life knocks you down from breakdown to breakthrough. And then I am uh, hosting a number of episodes, just uh, breaking down 30 years of entrepreneurship, business marketing and team building experience and uh, trying to get back to the entrepreneurial community in that way. That's awesome. Uh, make sure you check that out, guys. Mind Shift, correct? Podcast? Correct. Yep. By Daryl Evans. Uh, appreciate your time today, Daryl, your perspective, your insights, the dialogue. It's uh, It's been really rich and I uh, appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Liam. Appreciate you. Thank you for joining us today on The Prosperity Perspective. 
If you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, please head over to theprosperityperspective.com where you can hear from other successful business owners on their approach to investments. On our website, you'll be able to learn more about how DML Capital currently helps other business owners, like yourself, diversify their investments and grow their wealth. Take our short quiz to see if you're ready to take the next steps toward your financial success. 